Hi everyone and thanks for having me here. Um, today I'm going to tell you a little bit about my work, uh, about the field, and show some, share some results with you and hopefully that uh, you'll find that interesting and possibly see some opportunities there or possibilities. So before we begin with the core of the talk, I just mentioned that this work is done in collaboration with Sofia Jaliraki, Mauricio Barraona and Borislav Bangalov at Imperial College and Guillermo Verduño in Senior Research in Mexico, who's doing a lot of uh, data gathering for us. Okay, so networks are everywhere, and when a mathematician speaks of networks, what we mean is a set of nodes or vertices and edges, so we draw them in a picture here as dots and lines, and we say that two nodes are adjacent, if there's an edge that uh, links the, in between the two nodes, so that the edge may denote some sort of relationship or interaction. Um, so the edges may be either uh, unweighted, that means we only care about whether the edge exists or not, or weighted, where there's a value, a numerical value associated with that edge, which might uh, denote some sort of uh, intensity of the relationship. For example, we might care whether two people are friends on Facebook, and that would be it. Or we could say they, they're friends on Facebook and they have sent 70 messages to each other and then the weight of the edge would be 70. We may also care about the direction of the edge. Sometimes it's, it's uh, fruitful to think, well, is a, is a connection just exist or does it have an origin and a target? For example, in a trade network we'd see I am a supplier. So, you know, England is a supplier of Germany or something like that, so we can think of directed networks, or I follow someone else on Twitter rather than someone else follows me, because then this asymmetry is going to become important when we talk about some, some of the systems. Now, uh, here's an example, there's a social graph of Le Miserable, and this network we can represent here as a picture, it's very nice, but when, with large systems, that becomes more and more difficult. So we put it into a computer, and we the way we represent it in the computer is by an adjacency matrix, which is a two-dimensional array. And the entries are either zero, when there is no connection between the two nodes, uh, the, for example, the ij place, or there's something there different than zero. That means that nodes i and node j are connected if the ij entry of the matrix is different than zero. So we put this into a, a computer, and then we can work with it. So, uh, as you know, well, networks are is pretty much a, a buzzword that is everywhere, but they are everywhere. These are, these are some examples that people worked on in the past. This is a famous example of a karate club that uh, split out of uh, falling out of two people there, and, and then <laughs> two karate clubs uh, sprung from it, and people use community detection algorithms to check whether their methods work, because we actually know what happened, and this is how the network split. Slightly larger social network is Facebook, we have, which has about a billion users. And this is an undirected, unweighted network, so we just know whether two people are friends or not. Another example might be a genetic interaction network. In this, in this picture here, the, the nodes are genes of a plant called Arabidopsis thaliana, which is a model organism in plant biology. And if the genes or the proteins that these genes code for interact, then we draw a line between them. This is a network that has to do with seed germination and root development. Other, other networks, and this is also a neurodopsis, this is something I worked on before, it's a signal transduction network. So this is 
describing the biochemical reactions by which uh, plants save water. So you can see here that the network is directed, it has uh, signs, so maybe the interaction is positive or negative, you can do that as well. Or you can have bipartite networks in which there are two sets of nodes, uh, and edges only lie between nodes of different types. For example, here you can say uh, A, B, and C are people, and 1, 2, 3, and 4 are movies. Um, and if someone has rated a movie or watched a movie, there's an edge between them. This is a work that I did on the Netflix database with about 100,000 DVDs. And you can see how these things evolve in time and so on. So you can pretty much uh, do networks about anything. Another example that some of you may be familiar with, which has to do directly with obesity, is this network here. This is a social network of the Framingham study in a paper by Christakis and Fowler in 2007, where they tracked in this data set about over 20 years uh, a bunch of people and they measured their body mass index, they measured their height, their income, what they do, they sick or not, and as well as tracking social, marital, family relationships. And uh, yellow notes here are essentially people who are obese. And what Christakis and Fowler found is that there seem to appear clusters of obese people. So then they developed this hypothesis that was thrown around in the media. Are your friends making you fat? That is, if, if I'm a node in this network and my neighbors in the network are, are obese, then I have an increased probability of being obese. So they, this created a, lot of, uh, created a lot of media hype and a TED talk and all those things. And another network that might have to do with what people do here is, uh, this is a really cool example of uh, ingredients that are that appear in the same recipes. So they look through a cookbook here and they say whenever two ingredients, uh, which are the nodes in this network, appear in the same recipe, they draw an edge between them. And they try to use this in order to work out ingredient substitutions in meals or recipe recommendations. But you could also do some other interesting things such as working with dietary constraints and things like that. So this is, uh, this is in the archive 2011. So, um, as I hope you now uh, believe me that networks are important, and once we have a data set or a, net or a system and we build a network, then we have a, a workable abstraction of that system, then we can start to ask something, some questions such as what's the structure, is it more a regular grid lattice-like network, is it very clustered or not? What, is the, what are the most important nodes? What are vulnerabilities in this network? For example, in, in electrical grids and, and stuff like that, people ask, well, what, what happens if you knock down a couple power plants? Can you still supply the system? Uh, are there meaningful clusters or communities? That is, are there clusters of nodes who are interacting more with each other than the rest of the network? And also, what are the roles of the nodes? So it's reasonable to assume that some nodes that different nodes will do different things and, and, and we, we can try to understand what these roles are. So these last two uh, questions are the examples that I'll be giving up in this talk. Um, so for the rest of the talk I will talk about in abstract what do we mean by communities in networks and then I'll describe the data set that I've been working on for the past year or so which is uh, related to the Twitter and data of the riots. Then we'll find some communities there, and then I'll talk about the roles of nodes. So there will be two theory sections in my talk, and then after the second uh, kind of theory section, we'll go back into the data and find the roles of nodes 
in in this network. And then finally, I'll I'll, I'll share um, what I'm doing with NHS Twitter datasets. Okay. So communities in networks. So if we have a large network in a system, it's very complicated to look at and understand. So we want to find a, a simplified version or a coarse grained description of this network. Traditionally, a community is defined as a set of nodes that are more densely connected with each other than with the rest of the graph, than what you would expect at random or according to some null model. So you find this, uh, these communities, and then you have a simplified version of the network, and, and hopefully that will give you some more information, or at least will make it more accessible uh, for you to work with. So now, this is all very nice when you're uh, uh, working on this density argument of finding uh, groups of nodes that are more densely connected to each other, works very nice with undirected networks. Can but, I just ask you, going back yeah. to that previous picture, how do you decide that all those red dots are red? I mean, uh, do you have criteria that cuts yes. off? Community? So then you can put those criteria where you want to put them. Exactly. So you, you could say, well, I'm going to uh, divide the network in, into groups of nodes, and then I'm going to see whether these groups of nodes have more links within them than you would expect, according to some null hypothesis. Or, okay. And then you optimize that, so you put it in a computer and you try to get the best network partition that optimizes uh, the, the level of surprise and saying, yes, these guys are definitely statistically significant, uh, uh, significantly more connected to each other than to the rest of the network. And it, it's an optimization problem and then you, you find the, the best partition of the network. Uh, the density argument for communities runs into trouble when we consider directed networks. So, in this toy example here, where the big arrows say we say are twice as heavy as the normal arrows, we put it through a community detection algorithm that uh, deals with density, so it looks at the number of links within uh, the partition or the, the groups of the nodes, and we find these things. But uh, when we're looking at uh, directed networks, the uh, directionality is already telling us something about the network, and we, we can start to think about flows. And, and these communities, for example, they don't have a lot of flow. They just accumulate uh, to whatever travels through the direction of the edges on one, um, on one node. So if we think about flows in, in a general way, we might get a more natural definition of communities in directed networks. For example, in, in here, say, we could drop, uh, put a drop of ink in one of the nodes and see where the the stained water, uh, if it flows following the edges, where would it accumulate for longer uh, and then spread out to the network and we'll say, okay, that's a, that's a community. So in this toy example, we have four communities because we see that there is a, a flow within them. And this is the, this is the method that I'm currently working with. Here are some references. Uh, and it's called, uh, it, it looks out flows and it's, it seeks to find the groups of nodes which managed to retain flows given a time scale. So I'll go into that later, uh, just right now. So imagine we have a network, um, and this is just to show you that we're actually doing mathematics. But in H, H, in H is where we encode a partition of the network. So we say, okay, we're going to divide this network into, I don't know, five groups of nodes. And in here, where this function R is called the stability of the partition, it tells us how good are these groups of nodes are retaining flows uh, given 
of a time scale. This is an abstract time scale, so this is not physical time, but we can think of it, we can think of it as dropping ink on the network and seeing it flow. And we can study long diffusion processes. So we, we, we put the ink and we let it diffuse for a long time and then we stop and see where the trapped water, the uh, stained water will stay. Or we can look at short processes. So, and depending on this parameter here, the, whether we study short or long processes, we'll find either large communities because the, the ink has had a lot of time to diffuse and explore large areas of the network, or we'll have short, uh, small communities because when we drop the ink and we, then we stopped, so it wouldn't have gone very far. So it's a computationally difficult problem because you need to optimize partitions. If we find the partition that retains flows the most. So we optimize this R given a value of T for many H's. And then, uh, because it's a combinatorial optimization problem and it's NP-hard, which that means that if we wanted to get the absolute best answer, it would take probably many, many uh, years of computing just to get the answer. We get approximate solutions. So we do that for every value of t many times. And then we see whether we're getting partitions of the network that are consistent with each other that makes sense. And, and the other nice thing about having this duration of the diffusion process is that we can explore different uh, scales of the network by looking at short processes, medium and long processes and we can swipe or sweep through these values of this parameter and look at the, at the community structure of a network at multiple scales. So if, if we were to let these flows diffuse for longer, perhaps we'll find that this group and this group will form a community and this group and this group will form a community and, and so on. How do you define time? Time is it's it's a non uh, is, is what we call it an um, non-dimensional time. It's just a parameter. So in the, in an abstract sense, you say uh, this is the solution of a diffusion equation given given this connectivity, uh, but it doesn't have any units. So we just say we're looking at short or long according to the scales of the network. So it's just a parameter that we. Okay, so explore. it's an iterative function then. I mean, is it something that time accumulates over the number of times that you carry yeah. out an iteration? Yeah, well, it's, yes, this is the solution of a differential equation. Okay. Um, so this is the exponential of the graph Laplacian, which uh, comes from the JCT matrix. So this is just telling us uh, at time t, what is the probability that if you started a diffusion process or a random walk to okay. say that you're on the network and then you choose where to move. At time t, you've gone from node 1 to node 2, and this is going to tell you that. Got it. Right here. Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, do interrupt me because I'm going to go into the data now, and, and this is the community optimization method that we're going to use. Yes? Can I just ask a point on that? Is the point of doing the different time iterations to look at the possible permutations of communities within the network? It's to, it's to look at the, the scales of the communities because in a, in a network there might be, uh, isn't, there's, there isn't just one community structure, there's plenty. So imagine in a social network your friends at work, but if you look at it in a longer time scale it might be your wider circle of, of acquaintances that, uh, that is your community. Yes? So can you explain again Complexity. Yes. There is no algorithm, there is no computer which can compute it. Can you explain more because we don't have yeah. 
Okay, so what we do in H, we encode, we're looking for partitions of the network. So divide the network into groups of nodes that they retain flows, that they're connected to each other. So if you were to do a random walk on the network or put some ink and let, let see it flow, follow in the edges, they would keep uh, the, the ink for longer. So uh, because there are possible combinations of the network of, of, of uh, as you were saying, many permutations, there are possibly long combinations of or, or possibilities of a partition, and you have to find the best one. Finding the best one, that optimal partition of the network, is what's very complicated. So simulating the diffusion, that's very easy. It's just it's a differential equation; it can be solved in a laptop. Sorry, in, uh, yeah, this is uh, well. Uh, solving the optimization problem is exponential time. Yes. Sorry. Uh, we get approximate solutions. So we, for each value of t, we don't we don't just find one partition optimized once. We optimize a hundred times, and then we get a hundred different partitions, and then we see whether we're getting answers that are similar. So we get roughly the same communities or communities that look alike, and we do, we measure that using an infor uh, uh, information theoretical criterion called variation of information. I'll go into that uh, in a minute. But, yeah? Uh, by definition, it doesn't give you overlapping communities, right? I'm sorry? It doesn't give you any overlapping communities. No, but you, there is a way you can modify this method to, to get overlapping communities. So, essentially, if you optimize many times, you get a hundred different partitions of the network, you can overlap them and then get some sort of qualitative feel of how overlapping communities would give. But you can also make it give, it, give you a hard partition. Now, H encodes for, for a hard partition. So if you want overlapping communities, then you would have to work with the results of the optimization process. Um, right. Okay, so going to the riots. So as you know, in 2011, there were some riots in, in London and in other parts of England. And the media went ballistic about whether social social networks, Twitter, Facebook, fanned the flames and, and whether the riots organized and coordinated by Twitter and so on. So The Guardian uh, gathered a database of 2.5 million tweets during the riots, which sadly hasn't made public, but it's been publishing some of the results. Well, one of the things that did, they did make public is a list of the 1,000 most influential users uh, in that database, according to them. The way they measured influence is that in Twitter, I, I can post a message, and the people who follow me on Twitter may read that message, find it interesting, and pass it along to their own followers, a retweet. So they, they ranked all the people in their database in, uh, according to the number of retweets uh, that their followers had been made, and they took the, the top 1,000, and they said those are the, the most influential. So that... Uh, database includes a username of a Twitter user, a mini Twitter biography, so that's uh, every Twitter user can describe themselves on Twitter using at most 140 characters, so people would say something about themselves, and then a number of retweets associated to the account. So we're working with this data, and from this data we want to construct a network. Now Twitter, or so the question of how to construct a network in this case is, it's an easy one because Twitter already gives you the network. If you're a Twitter user, you have friends, that is people who you follow, and you have followers, people who read your stuff. So that's already a network structure. So all we have to do is 
for every user in this database, go in and find their friends, and then uh, intersect that with our list. And what we, what we have is an, uh, the internal connections of the thousand most influential users. So one thing to say here, uh, the, the, this network is directed, unweighted. So we just care whether, uh, whether an edge exists or not, but there is no weight or, 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 or intensity associated to that uh, relationship. Another, and another thing to note for is that uh, the attention of a user and Twitter follows the direction of the edges. So the user pays attention to the friends, the information comes from their friends to the people who this guy follows, to him, and vice versa. So we constructed this, this network in, uh, about a year ago. We'll start off uh, it just just when they published the list, I downloaded the uh, I downloaded it and then I constructed the network. So I think it took a couple of weeks uh, from when they published it to when I got it, because then they changed the the list instead of the thousand most influential, they cut it to two hundred, because as we will see, it's a it's a complicated uh, mess, <laughs> and here is the complicated mess. So it is, uh, we are working here with 914, which are the people who are connected. 86 nodes don't follow or are followed by anyone, so those for the moment we'll put aside and not worry about them. And the size of the nodes denote the number of followers they have in the list. And, and there are some usual suspects here. So there's the BBC uh, uh, breaking news, there's number 10, um, uh, Stephen Fry is here somewhere. The Guardian News. So a lot of people, a lot of name, recognizable names, but a lot of people who just, you know, just some guy or some woman and, and tweeting about the riots and we don't know who they are. So uh, just constructing the network and looking at it doesn't tell us much. So we want to we wanna know whether there's a community structure in this riot network. We call it Riot 1000, but ended up being 914. Um, so, and is this community structure meaningful? Does it tell us anything about, about the people who were important uh, during this time? And, and can we use external data to learn more about this community? So, uh, as I said before, we have not only the connections, but we also have the self-description of the users or the, the, the Twitter biography. So can we use that um, uh, to improve our analysis? Uh, is the direction of the edges important for the community structure and how much you can already suspect that it will be important, otherwise I wouldn't be putting it there. And also we want to know what kinds of nodes are there in the network. This is important because it's not the same I as a Twitter user with, I don't know, 100 followers or whatever I have, than Lady Gaga with a million or more than a million. So we don't act, uh, we don't play the same role in, in, in the network. So we want to we wanna figure out what the, um, what the roles are. So okay, so first we go into the community. So, um, oh yeah, I forgot to say that both the, the detection of roles and, and the detection of communities, this is more for the people who study networks, is, is based on the fact that the network is directed. Um, so we will find the, the communities based on flow and then we'll find the roles of the nodes based on, on the directed pattern paths that go through them. 
and then we'll, we'll find the roles, the communities, and then we'll combine these approaches and see if we can get something meaningful out. So this output in here, you just have to look at the blue line. Uh, we're optimizing the stability of the network, that function I showed you. So for every value of t, this is the mark of time. t is the mark of time. We optimize uh, our, our stability function 100 times, and, and we get the number of communities. So in here, we have for very short processes, basically we have almost every node in their own community alone, because the, the ink hasn't had time to, to, to move along. For longer processes, when we have two down to two communities, essentially the, the ink has gone all the way, and if we continue more, then we'll just get one community, which is the network itself. And now, because of the complexity of the optimization problem, we have to see how consistent are the communities that we're getting at this particular time, and to do this, we use a variation of information. So in here, roughly, it means that a lower variation of information means more consistent answers that we're getting, higher variation of information, less consistent. And I've chosen a few points in, in the mark of time to show you what type of stuff appears in, in, in this network. Um, so when we have a short diffusion process at time point uh, 0.15, we get 150 communities, which is uh, quite a granular, but we, we still find some interesting things. So the picture still doesn't tell us anything. But when we look at some individual communities, we find that there are some geographically uh, homogeneous communities. Yes? Can you tell us the definition of variation of information here? It's a, it's a distance. So we get, uh, for every, com every part network partition that we get, we see how, what the mutual information between those partitions are. And we construct a metric out of that. So, a distance. So the closer they are, all partitions that we find, the more information they give each other about themselves, or we can get from themselves, so we're getting consistent results. And if there's a lot of variation of information, that means that the partitions of the network are not giving us a lot of mutual information. So it's an information theoretic criterion. That's is the best we can do. Yes, this uh, it's a it's a problem of finding what is the best community partition, and and, and it's still that's an active uh, uh, field of research. So we find that uh, the variation of information from certain type of networks gives us very good results. For others, it doesn't, and it's still pretty much an open problem. So presumably, if you were to set the partition around a network as a region. If you then had a, a, a diffuse partition, you could then say, well, the mayor of London is getting his information from Fakir Hackney, for example. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, no, uh, where is the mayor of London? I don't know if he follows Fakir Hackney or not, but probably the other way around. Right. Um, so, yeah, we get... <laughs> Uh, so Midlands community, the Liverpool, Manchester, even London appears fragmented, Hackney's where the riots began. Other types of things that we find at this time scale are the riot cleanups of some interest groups, so these people who were going to where riots had happened and, and helped clean up and stuff. So Muslim organizations clustered very, very, very quickly together. Um, and even journalists appear fragmented by employers. We have the Independent, the Telegraph, ITB. So this, at this time scale, we see a very local structure in the network. So what are the most um, immediate connections of the, of the nodes? Um, 
Yeah, so well, you, could, you could use this to just see how solidarity emerges in, in, in some kind of event. I guess you could, yeah, you, you could see how, yeah, or interest, which is one of the things I'm going to go into. If we move along, we let the sort of the ink explore larger regions of the network. We get at time 0.5, we get about 50 communities, and in here we run into a problem, which the communities are larger. So this is essentially a a, a network complex in itself. Uh, this is a community that we find, and from looking at it, we can just uh, see what's what's there. It's, it's quite complicated. So how do we assess these things, right? So we have a kind of, guy in London, so we don't know who this is, so, so we see some sports news and Wayne Rooney and other people, so but what is this community really about, are we going to be, are, are these big nodes here going to misguide us, so that is not, it's not simple, and here's where we use the external data to, to see whether we're getting something that makes sense or something that's not, not very good, um, and what we take is the Twitter biographies, of the members of this community, we count the frequencies of the words, the, which words appear more often in the way these people describe themselves, and from there on we see whether, whether we get something that makes sense, and we can actually create a word cloud of the, of the self-descriptions and see if it, if it tells us something about this. So we call this a self-description of the community, and we see that there's football, Manchester, Liverpool, fan, sports, so this is pretty much a, a footballing sports community, lots of journalists, things like that in here. So this is kind of like an ontology of sorts. So this is the type of thing people use in genetic networks. They, they look at genetic interactions, they get communities, and then they see the annotated genomes and see if the communities that they found uh, make sense, whether they, they're all genes who share a function or, or are involved in some metabolic process or something like that. So we use this in, in the same way. Another community we find here is the police and crime reporters. So we have the Metropolitan Police, the Home Office, Birmingham Police somewhere, uh, Wolverhampton, crime reporters, and, and we see that the, the self-description is consistent. Can I them. just ask you, when you did the word cloud, did you take out specific words before? Function you... words. From just, just function words, nothing yeah. else? Yeah. And numbers. Yeah. Uh, an even longer diffusion process, and then we have a partition of the network into 15 communities, which already the coarse grain picture starts to tell us more things. So we have a, a basically a big community of celebrities, and music and media, sports, international media, activists, local activists, panel show celebrities, the police and the white cleanup, the Guardian, etc., the BBC, Sky. So this is already giving us a, more of a bird's eye of, of, of our system which we can make more sense of. Um, an example here is, for, is three journalism communities. The first one is international media activists. So in here we have WikiLeaks, we have the hackers from Anonymous, we have Human Rights Watch, Citizen Radio, Democracy Now, Al Jazeera, and we see that their uh, description says fits into that profile. So this is more like anti-establishment news. We can think of it that way. There's a community for The Guardian, Guardian journalists and editors, and there's just an international media community. So this is more detached media from, from, from the riots. It would be The New Yorker, The Economist, Huffington Post. If you got rid of the word news in all of those, that would be, in a sense, you'd start to control for some of the 
yes. noise in there, and some of these other words would yeah. pop up as bigger, presumably. Yeah, uh, Twitter is another word that we can take out, for example, yeah. because more, many Twitter biographies says official Twitter account off. So we, we, we can yeah, clean those things and make it uh, more useful. By the way, this is not a very rigorous thing because the amount of text that we're working on is not too much. So this is to give us an idea, but it's nothing sort of that's statistically significant because there isn't that much uh, text to work with. Um, even a longer diffusion process partitions the network into four communities. So one of them is UK. Here, this is a massive blob of journalists, politicians, activists, uh, and it's all here. Another one, international media and activists, so the WikiLeaks and Al Jazeera and Anonymous are here. Celebrities are here, and then we see these red dots that are kind of scattered about, and, and, and it's very small compared to the other community. It doesn't seem to make much sense. But when we look at it, we see that it's a community mostly of BBC accounts. <laughs> so this is interesting for, for many reasons. Remember that our uh, optimization method See, uh, looks at flows and which groups retain flows. So this is a comparatively small uh, community if you, if you look at the other ones. And it's managed to retain flows for a very long time. So it's a, it's a, it's a strong community. It's very resilient. All other communities about this size have, been, uh, have dissipated, have been incorporated into larger uh, clusters of networks. But this remains. And the reason for that is because these are very important nodes, these, these three in particular. And they manage to attract a lot of attention, but once the, the, sort of the ink is there, they just keep it in this group. So, so that's why it's, it's such a resilient, uh, it's such a resilient uh, community. Other things that we might do is, is, okay, given that we're... Is that a question? Um, because we're swiping through this uh, diffusion time, the mark of time, we can take a more continuous, uh, continuum view of it and say, well, if we slide this parameter from very small to very large, and we observe a group of nodes, how would these communities evolve? That is, who would join these guys in their community as we are increasing the duration of the diffusion processes? So these are the anonymous people, they are the hackers. And they cluster very quickly. They have their own... Uh, description that's consistent. And now we're going to see, well, if we allow the diffusion process to explore the graph or the network, uh, who joins in and who joins first, and, and whether that would give us the opportunity to harness the structure of the network, the connectivity, to see what are these people interested in within this network. So we do that, and, and this is what we get. So uh, this is kind of complicated, but here in the left, we have anonymous. I thought you be able to read, but in here this just the anonymous, our original community, at a, which emerges at an early mark of time, and then as we evolve, uh, more and more people join in. So in here, the kind of the hot is meant, the red is meant to resemble hot, like a lot of attention, and it cools off, and then back in Siberia there is a, the type of accounts that interests these people the least. So in here we can see that everything regresses to football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can tell that these people are least interested in football and celebrities and, and yeah. things like that here. Uh, more interested in international activism, Al Jazeera Weeklyks, then UK activism, and bloggers and writers and activists and stuff, then the sort of local UK media, then international media, and in the end, football. 
So a way to understand this, I, I know it's a lot of information here, but we can look at it in, in this sense. So this is a famous New Yorker cover. So how would the world look uh, for a New Yorker standing on 9th Avenue? And this is how the world looks for anonymous if they stand in the network. So this is to scale as well. And we see that first we see the Al Jazeera, then the activists in general, then more social news, UK news, and all the way in the end of the road is, is the, the footballers and so on. So, so that's a kind of a, a proxy for interest. How, what interests Anonymous? And okay, now briefly I'm going to go into saying why uh, looking at the, respecting the direction of the edges matters. So a lot of people, what they do is they build a network is directed, but when they analyze communities, they just ignore their edge direction and look at density-based communities. Uh, here I'm going to show you why this is a bad idea. So imagine that we ignore the directions in our network and we optimize the stability. And what I want you to see here is in blue is the is our original number of communities and in dashed red is the undirected number of communities. So we get a lot more communities in early market times in the undirected network. And we see that they're less consistent. So more variation of information, that means we're getting um, less, uh, less answers that look less the same, which is a bad thing. It's probably telling us that there's not a lot of structure in the undirected network, at least at this uh, time scale. So as an example, we take the community that contains the Today Show in Radio 4, and we see that very quickly in the directed network, we put it into a BBC community. Remember that this community lasts till the very end, so it appears very early too. So essentially this isn't a correct community, it belongs to BBC and so on. When we look at it in the undirected community, we see that it's not, you know, this is not a community, it's just a cluster, that a, a group of nodes that have nothing not a lot uh, in common. And if we look at further out the diffusion process, we see that the BBC community basically stays essentially the same. And in here, we got the Today Show in a community of politicians and political journalists and labor and members. So you could argue that this is a bona fide community, but it's, it's, it's a different community. So by Ignoring uh, the direction of the edges, we've essentially destroyed the, the local uh, flow structure in the network that will, would have given us this, this information. Now, this doesn't happen for every node. So, the Guardian columnist George Monbiot has essentially the same direct and non-directed community at early market times and at late market times. So, one has to be careful when, if, we, if one is going to ignore edge direction, one has to be wary that this type of thing may happen. So, it's not, it's not that. Um, uh, trivial. And this is just the size of the communities that contain these two nodes and you say that the directed and undirected are very different and in here they're very similar. So this is what I was talking about. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit about rules of nodes. So we've looked at the communities. The communities, they, they tell us who are these people connected to, what are, who are they related to in the network. Rules of nodes seeks to answer the question what uh, what other people are connected to the network like them. So not necessarily connected to them, but like them. So, uh, and basically we want to try to distinguish between traditional hub and authority uh, distinctions of the nodes. So basically nodes with few followers and nodes with a lot of followers. We want to go beyond that. So uh, let's take this network as an example and focus on, on node one. And what we're going to do is we're going to count the number of paths of different lengths 
that arrive to the node and that leave the node. For example, length of uh, paths of length one that arrive are three. We put it here. Three. We put it here, and then we count we count paths of length two, and we write it down of length three, uh, and so on. And we do that for all nodes in the network, and we can put them in an array of vectors. So since we've had characterized every vector, every node with a vector that tells us a number of directed paths that arrive and leave, and, and it's just a vector, we can do some algebra with it, and we can measure distances and angles, so we can see which nodes in their connectivity are close to each other. So essentially we measure the distances between the x1 and x whatever. And this is what we get here. What we get is a similarity score between uh, 0, where they're, they're not connected to the network in the same way, to 1, they're connected to the network in exactly the same way. So if you look at node 5 and node 10, you'll see that they have nothing in common. Uh, and so they would have a, a similarity score of 0 whereas other nodes will have something in between. And so this is what the similarity of all nodes against all nodes looks like. So red means more similar, blue looks less similar. So working with this type of full uh, matrices here is complicated. There's lots of noise. So we need to clean this up. And the way we do that, uh, we can interpret this thing as, as, as points in space and find some, some sort of local structure that connects them. So we, we essentially preserve who are the people who are closer, what are the nodes that are closer in this distance or that are most similar to all the other nodes and, and, we, and we draw a connection between them. So we have obtained a new network where two nodes are connected if their connectivity in the original network is similar and not connected if not. So, so in here these guys who are neighbors may not be connected at all in the original network but they are connected in, in a similar way. So just to recap, we have the original network, if you look at the paths, you can sort the similarity and we end up with this new network. And this being a network, we can do what we do, which is find communities. And, and in here we've found five. Now you'll notice that the size of the nodes, I've respected the original size of the nodes, so you can see uh, the bigger ones are the ones with more followers. So you see that all the bigger ones are in the green and in the blue, and the little guys are somewhere else. So we say, okay, now we have these uh, uh, classes or roles of nodes, so what does that tell us about the original network? So if we coarse grain them, so we put all the guys in green in this big circle, uh, node here, and all the guys in blue and purple and so on, and then see who follows whom in the original network, we will immediately find that the important guys are the guys in 0 and 4. So we have references, that is, they get the attention of a lot of people, but they don't follow they don't interact with many people outside perhaps these, these guys, which we call the engaged leaders because they also have the attention of a lot of people in the network. But unlike the guys in zero, the references, these do interact with the guys, with the purple guys, which we call the mediators. They, they kind of talk to the leadership. And then we have listener um, type of notes. So we have the, these guys who are listeners who basically just follow references or leaders. And we have diversified listeners who, who keep an eye on all types of nodes. So these people follow um, the important big celebrity guys and the people who, who interact more and they, they have a, like a better overview of what the network is. The type of accounts that we find here and the references are more institutional accounts like the BBC or the New York Times, uh, The Economist. So these are no one's Twitter account, but it's, a, it's an account that is mostly meant to put out some content. Some celebrities are there as well. Uh, 
and like big personalities that command a lot of attention on Twitter. In here we'll find a type of accounts that are meant to interact with people. So have your say or some editors and journalists will be here. Here we'll have also people who interact like journalists and, and, and other people who have access to the upper echelons of the network. And, and now that we have this classification, so we have nodes and, and their roles, but we also have their communities. So we can revisit our communities that we've gotten before. Uh, for example, we can take the, the one that we obtained at market time 1.3, where we have 15 communities, and we can see this through the lens of the, node, of the roles of the members of each of the communities. So this is what we get. So instead of every node, we've broken up each community into their composition by roles. And now we see that some communities look like each other in terms of their composition and some others don't. So these uh, little bizarre structures here are just the nodes that belong to that community assembled by, by their role. So we see that we have broadcast communities which are essentially just references that put out some content like international media and the BBC. Monologue uh, that are communities that have a lot of references and a lot of passive listeners, so listeners that just receive content from, from the references, or dialogue communities where you see that there is more of an interaction here, the composition of the, of the communities is, is more biased towards the engaged leaders and mediators, and then dialogue in public, which is kind of, uh, kind of like the dialogue, but we have a lot of uh, diversified listeners paying attention to what happens in these communities. For example, here's the celebrity uh, community. Yes? Where are the rioters? Uh, rioting, I guess. These are people <laughs> <laughs> tweeting about it. Presumably, <laughs> the rioters are using Twitter not only to monitor what they're doing. Well, that's what a lot of people said, but there seems to be very little evidence to support that. Uh, so they weren't actively tweeting riot on this part? No, they, they, what, we, what we seem to find here is that uh, there's more people looking to find information about what's going on rather than actually, I think because it's stupid to tweet about, I'm going to loot something. <laughs> I mean, I think it did happen and obviously they got arrested. <laughs> Stop shooting. <laughs> uh, so the, the media celebrity community we have, it's a monologue because we have a lot of passive listeners and a lot of broadcasters or references. And it's a one-way communication uh, where we have the UK journalists and activists where we have a lot of interactions here and a lot of people paying attention and listening. Or a broadcast community, essentially media things that serves, pushes out content outwards. Um, the Guardian, for example, they, they want to interact a lot, so the editors and the journalists are, are there. The football community looks uh, more like a monologue as well. And, and if you remember our guy in London, he's uh, this guy over here. So now not only we know about this guy who, who is interested in sports or football, but he might also be interested in more things because he's a diversified listener. So when we went in and looked at his profile, we see that he cares about Manchester United, beer, writing, impressionist paintings, India, Lord of the Rings, etc. And so quite diverse. And we see that in, in this network, he is following 71 people, but only follow, uh, five follow him. So this is the type of uh, things that we can do when we combine the community analysis and the role analysis. And 
So yes, in summary, we've used two methods to study the network that are based on the directionality of the network. Uh, this again is more important for network theorists, but um, it's, it's an important thing when we are talking about networks. Stability, which is our method, works well in this thing. We have good communities. Ignoring the direction has consequences. And we get the roles, and then we finally we can uh, combine these two approaches to enhance or take our data further. Um, what's going ongoing work right now, I'm taking this uh, approaches of this kind to an NHS Twitter dataset, which is every mention of the NHS on Twitter uh, since uh, March last year. So it's just over 2 million tweets now. And what we can do is we can construct multiple networks from this database. So one of the networks we can construct is, then, is, is a, it's like the one I showed you with the riots, who follows whom, but that's not the only one. You can construct, for example, who has retweeted whom, which are offering different information that, because that denotes action of the users, like active, actively passing on information that tells us something. We can, we can see who has mentioned whom on Twitter. We can see who has replied to whom. So all these things would yield different networks that we can look at and, and study and hopefully extract some information. And most importantly, text, which is what I'm, I'm more interested in at the moment. We have all the text about these people who have tweeted about the NHS. So now what does the language tell us about what's going on? Can we build networks based on text? Uh, for example, counting word adjacencies and things like that. And those approaches have been used successfully to obtain, for example, in, in a large collection of news articles, classify them by topic. Uh, so we could do certain things like this, get five views of a network, and more importantly, they are time-changing. So we could, for example, study one slots of one week, and week after week after week, we can see how what are the opinion dynamics of of the NHS and Twitter. So, obvious question is who talks about the NHS? Who are the people making, uh, marking the discourse? What do people talk about when they talk about the NHS? Do they complain? Do they uh, support? What what are they saying? Uh, and how what, what are the opinion dynamics uh, of this? A system and in addition trying to develop some new network theory uh, trying to answer these questions. So just finally I would like to thank my collaborators, the people in the Baronet Jaraki group, in particular Antoine and Michael who helped me out set up the optimization procedure and my family.